please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. If you have a pew Bible, you will find it on page 1003. As you are doing so, let me say what a delight and joy it has been to be with you all this weekend. Thank you for such a warm welcome. You have cared for me and loved on me well. And so I can think of no better way of expressing my gratitude for you than by taking your sights off of me and pointing them to Christ in His Word. So with those things in mind, let's turn our attention now to Hebrews chapter 4. We will pick up the reading in verse 11, and we'll read down to the end of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Amen. And this ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to us here today. Well, if you are joining us for the first time over the weekend, we have been considering the doctrine of Scripture in relation to the Christian life. We have considered that Scripture is sufficient for the knowledge of God in Jesus Christ. We have considered that Scripture is profitable in that it provides us with a foundation for the Christian life. We've seen that God's Word is normative in that it governs God's people in worship and in ministry. Then in Sunday school, we consider that God's Word is final, that God has spoken fully in Jesus Christ, and the whole purpose of Scripture is to point you to Him. 
But you can go through a weekend like this, and you can nod along and mentally assent to all that has been said and still create a critical distance. You can still keep God's Word an arm's length away, and you can say, oh, that was nice. We had a wonderful time thinking about and studying about Scripture all weekend, and it's nothing more than an academic intellectual discipline because you've heard it all before. You're part of such a wonderful congregation. You have received such faithful teaching. And yet the danger that we can fall into as Christians is we can allow the sacred things of God's Word to become common. And dear friends, that is a dangerous place to be when we no longer uphold and revere the Word of God as God's divine Word to us. We treat it as just any other book, failing to recognize that God's Word is not only sufficient and profitable and normative and final, but God's Word is active. It is living, and it is for you today. So here at the end of Hebrews 4, the writer of Hebrews is drawing a conclusion. He has been reflecting on the narrative in Joshua. He has been reflecting on Psalm 95. He's been drawing parallels between this congregation he is writing to and a backslidden Israel. And he's drawing his conclusion as a good preacher, and he's pulling them in, saying, now you have to do something yourself, because God's Word is living and active. So here in the text here today, I want us to consider four characteristics of the Word of God. In the first place here in the text, we see the living Word, the living Word. Here in verse 12, we simply read that the Word of God is living. We learn here about the life-giving power of God's living Word, who is Himself life. In the original text, the word living is actually placed at the beginning of the sentence for emphasis, so you could even read this text as living is the word of God. This book is not dead, but alive. Alive. The Bible is not a dead book, but a living book. It is never outdated. It is never irrelevant. It never passes its expiration date. It never sours. Rather, God's Word is alive. You cannot contain this Word. You cannot ignore this Word. The Bible is not simply a collection of ancient religious writings, 
This is not a relic of the past for the past. This is God's living word for you living people today. Are you alive? Well, then this book is for you. This is God's inspired word for you. See, the book, the book, the Bible, is a book that speaks to all people in all places, in all times, from all backgrounds, throughout all of history and around the world. As the martyr Stephen says in Acts 7, 38, the Scriptures are God's living oracles for us. We cannot come to this book and treat it simply as a history book. We cannot come to this book and treat it simply as a textbook. We cannot come simply as academics and study this as if those, this book has no bearing on our lives. No, the living God is speaking to you with His living Word, and what are you going to do about it? In other words, the Word of God is dynamic. It speaks with relevance to every single person and every single generation. God's Word is never out of date. The Bible addresses the needs of the people of God throughout all ages. In the book of Hebrews, we see that the Bible addresses the people of God in the desert under Joshua after the days when Moses died. It served the citizens of the nation of Israel under David's kingdom. It ministered to the first recipients of the letter to the Hebrews in the first century, and this book speaks to us today. Guess when today is in the Bible? Today. Today. Today, if you hear God's voice speaking to you, do not harden your heart. Today is the day. You may not have tomorrow. Why would you presume upon God? Why would you think you have tomorrow? He's given you today and He's given you His Word. You must respond to it, dear friends. You can't put off responding to the gospel when God is speaking to you today. This is a living word from the living God, not a dead word from a dead God. God is constantly speaking to you. As long as you have breath, as long as you hear this word, you are to respond in faith as God is speaking to you. Of course, we see this all throughout the Bible. So, for example, in Hebrews 3, Verse 12, the writer says, Take care, brothers, sisters, take care, lest there be any of you who have evil, unbelieving hearts, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In Hebrews 3.12, there's a quotation around today. That's because he's reflecting on Psalm 95, and he's speaking it to the congregation. Dear friends, you have an obligation to speak Scripture to one another. When was the last time you did that? When was the last time you read God's Word and you thought of a brother and sister in this congregation and you just texted them the Scripture and said, Dear friend, I have prayed for you today. I've been thinking about you. Here is a word from God 
for you. It's a great way to encourage one another. Let me challenge you to do that sometime in the next week or the next month. Send an encouraging word from Scripture to a brother or sister in Christ in this congregation. We see the Apostle Peter doing something very similar in 1 Peter 1.22. In 1 Peter 1.22, the Apostle says, "...having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God." It's how you see God at work in the life of His people. You you see a hunger for Scripture, a hunger for Scripture. It's a great diagnostic to see how you're doing spiritually. Do you have a hunger for the Word of God? Right? When you go a morning without breakfast and your stomach starts to growl, you have a hunger, right, for a PB&J. Do you hunger? for the Word of God. When you go without it, do you notice it? If not, dear friends, you may need to check your faith. You may need to do a reality check. Do you hunger for the living God and His living Word? Next here we see that the Bible is an active word. Again, look at verse 12, for the Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is not only living, it is active. God's Word is always effective in the life of His people. God's Word will always do its business in your life. God's Word does not return void, we say. God's words don't fall to the ground. God always accomplishes His intended purpose through His Word. God is on the move like Aslan, right? Through Narnia, God is active through His Word in the life of His people. The word for active can be translated powerful, effectual. It it conjures up an image of divine energy, the activity of a divine God working through His sacred Word. Literally, we can say that God's Word is energizing, is active. It brings about its intended effect, which is to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. You see, we need a diet of the Word of God. Now, some of you may be discouraged by that, and you can think, well, I can't remember anything about what I've studied in Scripture. I can't remember the last sermon from last week, I can't really remember what I gleaned from my devotions, you know, last Sunday or last Tuesday or last month. I don't really get a whole lot from family worship, and it's all pretty routine. I know I do it. I know I do it, but is it having an effect in my life? Well, dear friends, can you remember what you ate for lunch three weeks ago last Tuesday? Probably not. How about six months ago last Tuesday? Probably not. But dear friends, was that lunch good for you? Absolutely it was. 
Did that lunch sustain you in that moment? You bet you. Did it, did it stop those rumblings and your tumblings there, right? You, you bet it did. God's Word is for you right now. Praise God that He nourishes your soul through His Word now. This is a feast that you get to enjoy on the Word as you come around the Word. So when you hear God's Word preached, it is good for you. When you read God's Word in devotions, it is good for you. When your family comes around the table and does family worship, the Word is good for you right now. Right now. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's Word is active. God's Word is active. One of my favorite places to illustrate this is actually in Psalm 19. Turn with me there very briefly. Psalm 19. This is just an awesome passage, and it'll give you some uh, insights in how the, the Scriptures are designed to make a point. Look at Psalm 19, verses 7 uh, to 10. Here in Psalm 19, we see the revelation of God in the skies and the revelation of God in the Scriptures, in general and special revelation. Here we look at the revelation of God in Scripture in Psalm 19, picking up in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. I want you to notice a couple of things, actually three parallel concepts here. Notice that there are six different words used to describe the content of Scripture. Law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, rules. All of them are describing aspects of Scripture. Then notice six different words to describe the characteristic, the attributes of Scripture. God's Word is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. These are permanent, fixed, objective, eternal realities of the Word of God. God's Word is always objectively true regardless of whether you believe it. It's objective truth. But notice here this last part. There are six words used to describe the activity of God in Scripture. God's Word revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It promotes righteousness. These are action words because God's Word is always pertinent. It's always effectual. It's always energizing. So the same word that spoke galaxies into existence is at work in your life because this is God's active word. 
Next here we see it's God's piercing word. God's piercing word in verses 12 and 13. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In verses 12 and 13 here, we learn about our inability to hide from the judgment of God in His Word. Now, in the ancient world, the two-edged sword was a fierce tool in the hand of a soldier. The two-edged sword was one of the most serious weapons in the arsenal of a soldier. Its utility was due to the fact that both sides of the sword could be used to cut an assailant. It is a two-edged sword. Well, likewise, the point of Scripture has a twofold purpose. Those who reject Scripture will face God's punishment, and those who embrace God's Scripture enjoy God's rest. It's a twofold purpose. God is glorified in judgment and redemption. And no matter how you respond, it will have an effect in your life. If you reject Scripture, God rejects you. If you accept Scripture, God accepts you. There's a twofold purpose here. And so, in Revelation chapter 1, in Revelation chapter 1, we have a picture of the glorious Christ. And in Revelation 1, verse 16, it says of this Christ, in His right hand He held seven stars, and from His mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. In other words, God's Word cannot be taken lightly. Like a package from Amazon or UPS, you have to handle it with care. You've got to treat this book with respect. You can't just simply ignore this book. But notice here, the text does not simply say that the Bible is a two-edged sword, does it? It actually says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the sharpest of the sharpest swords. This is why when Peter preaches at Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 37, one of the greatest revival sermons in the history of the world, at his conclusion, it says the Word of God cuts to the heart. It cuts to the heart. It gets right to the issue. It discriminates and scrutinizes and exposes. We are told here the Word of God pierces to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, nothing remains unaffected by the Word of God. You will leave here changed by your confrontation with the Word here today. You see, the Word of God addresses every faculty of our being. It probes into the nook and cranny of our hearts. You know, nobody likes to be under a fluorescent light because it exposes our blemishes, right? Well, when you're under the fluorescent light of the Word, it exposes the blemishes of your soul. 
right? And you begin to kind of recoil a little bit. And that's one of the reasons why we struggle with the Word of God. It's why we like to kind of hide from the Word of God. But, oh, friends, we cannot hide from God. We cannot hide from His scrutinizing gaze. We will give an account before God. I want you to imagine that when you were born, uh, you were born with a camera on the inside of your heart that recorded every thought, every feeling that you had, and it just recorded it, all right, this camera. And then on the last day, you stand before God and he hits play. Would you want to be there when that happened? You can see why the psalmist will say in Psalm 130, O Lord, if you would mark our iniquities, not one of us would stand. Right? We fall short of the glory of God. We have transgressed his law, and the wages of sin is death. Right? So the word scrutinizes. It, it exposes every place where we have fallen short of the word of God. It lays bare our sins and our shortcomings and our blemishes. And so we know that God knows our thoughts and feelings better than we know them ourselves. Even David says this in one of the most well-known passages in the Psalter. In Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You searched out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. O Lord, you know it all together. All friends, we live under the scrutinizing gaze of a sovereign, all-powerful, all-knowing God. No one and nothing is hidden from his sight. He is not bound by space or time, and thus the past and present and future are ever before him. He sees all. He knows all. Notice here that to be exposed by the Word is to be exposed by God. There is an inextricable link between God's Word and God. The penetrating and piercing power of God's word leaves us naked and exposed before whom? God. So to reject the word is to reject whom? God. Right? So his word communicates his will for your life. And to embrace his word is to embrace him. We have here a piercing word. 
And it's hard, isn't it? That's what the law does. The law takes no mercy, right? It takes no mercy. You see the standard of God and the requirement of perfection, and maybe you are here today and you think, oh God, I will never measure up. And so what do you do, dear friends? Where do you go when you are left naked before God and all of your sins are exposed before Him? Where do you go? Well, lastly and third, fourthly, I want you to see that we have, thankfully, a comforting word, a comforting word. Unfortunately, we have the insertion of a heading that is not in the text. Perhaps your Bible has a heading between verse 13 and 14 that says, Jesus, the great high priest, right? Well, that heading, you know, is not in the original text. And the author here of the letter to the Hebrews is a good preacher. He's using the law to expose your sin, and then he's driving you to the Lord Jesus Christ as your only solution, as your only hope, as your only source of comfort. We have here in verses 14 to 16, God's comforting word in Jesus Christ. Where do we turn for hope when exposed in our sin? Well, we turn to the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. In Christ, there is never-ending mercy for you. In verses 14 and 16, we learn about the comfort found in the ongoing work of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, who is our high and heavenly priest. You see, we cannot miss the force of this passage. Just like the work of the Word is not irrelevant, so too the work of our high priest. You understand, dear friends, the work of Jesus in some sense did not end at Calvary. It did not end at the empty tomb. Jesus' work did not stop even in His heavenly ascension and session, but His work continues even as we speak now. The author of Hebrews will go on to say that Jesus ever lives to intercede for His people, pleading the merits of His blood on behalf of those whom He died for. You know that Jesus now is at the right hand of the Father praying for you, and His prayers are efficacious. The prayers of Christ are mightier than the temptations of the devil. That's, of course, the whole lesson of Peter coming to Christ and Peter telling, or Jesus telling Peter that the evil one asked to sift Peter, like wheat, and then Jesus said to Peter, but I prayed for you. Peter's comfort rested in the work of Christ as his priest. You see, friends, Jesus is not only faithful in procuring your salvation through his death on the cross, 
but he is faithful in daily bestowing upon you the benefits of that salvation today. He extends mercy. He extends forgiveness. He extends comfort to you. Go to him. Why would you hesitate? Why would you not flee to him as you are confronted with your sin? This is why Hebrews says in chapter 7, verse 25, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for Him. So the exhortation here is on the basis of the past and the present work of Jesus, we lay hold to our confession in Him. And what is our confession but our faith in Jesus Christ as our high priest who died for us and today intercedes for us. That's what you can take away. When you're confronted with the Word of God, you can say two things. Oh God, I know that Jesus died for me and prays for me. All right, you can say that. Even you young little ones here today, if you're resting in Christ and you are confronted with your sin, you can say, my comfort, my comfort is in Jesus who died for me and prays for me. The certainty of his work is the foundation of the certainty of our faith. Assurance doesn't rest in yourself. It doesn't rest in your family. It doesn't rest in your church. Assurance rests in Jesus who died for you and intercedes for you. You can go to him. You can go to him now and receive mercy and grace in time of need. Dear friends, there is no sin too big for him. There's no sin too big for him. No matter what you have done, you can take your sin to Christ before that sin takes over you. He is a sympathetic high priest. He was tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. You might think, ah, well, Christ really doesn't know the power of sin. But let me ask you, who knows the power of sin more, one who resists or one who gives in to it? If I were to give you a 500-pound weight, right, and there was a chasm in front of you, and I made you hold that 500-pound weight over that chasm and in two seconds you fell into that chasm, right? You would not know fully the significance of that weight. But if you resisted, if you resisted and did not fall, I suspect you would know something of the significance of the weight that was given to you. Oh, dear friends, Jesus is a qualified high priest because he said no to sin when you and I, of course, say yes. And therefore, you can take your sin to him, no matter what it is. He is a sufficient high priest. He died for you. He prays for you. He can help you today. Why would you not go to him? Why would you be sheepish and flying to him? He's never rejected anyone who comes to him. You go to him. He will embrace you. Oh, great is your sin, my friends. Great is your sin. Make no mistake about it. You live under the gaze of God's word exposed, naked, and ashamed. Though great is your sin, oh, friends, greater still is your high priest. He clothes you with his righteousness. He gives you not judgment but mercy that you might today live in the presence of a triune God and receive mercy and grace in time of need. So, friends, do not let sin 
linger in your heart. Take that sin to Christ before it takes over you. Our only comfort as Christians is anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us and prays for us. The Bible is a wonderful book. It is sufficient, it is profitable, it is normative, it is final, and it is living. So this Bible demands a response from you. We cannot stand neutral. We cannot be indifferent toward its teaching. The Bible is living, it is active, it is piercing, it is comforting, and it demands a response from you today. May God grant you the grace and the mercy to respond in faith and repentance through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that you might come and trust in Jesus Christ alone as he's offered to you today in the gospel. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is our great high priest. In him we have confidence to draw near to your throne that we might receive mercy and find grace in time of need. Hear us, we pray, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In response to the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's stand together and confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. Christian, what do you believe? I believe.